Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, today I'm going to be interviewing Simon and Carla of Sailing Ocean Fox. But before we get to that interview, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. For over 50 years, Sailrite has been your authority in all things marine DIY. Do it yourself. What started as a mail-order correspondence course on sailmaking has grown into one of the largest online and catalog retailers for the marine industry. Sailrite stocks everything you need to sew for your boat. They are the only company that makes one design and custom sail kits. As a passionate group of DIYers, Sailrite's dedication to self-reliance at sea is proven in their products and services. Sailrite sells fabric, foam, supplies, and more, including the legendary portable and powerful Ultrafeed sewing machine. So you can be self-reliant and save money by sewing your own projects, from Bimini's to Dodger's, sacrificial sail covers and sail bags to interior and exterior seating and cushions. Sailrite brings you the best brands in the industry for unmatched product quality and professional-looking DIY results. With over 50 years of bringing you quality products, unparalleled service and support, and free how-to videos, Sailrite is a name you can trust. Well, it's uh, November 27th when I'm recording this introduction to the podcast, and this podcast was actually recorded almost a month ago. But I'm scheduling my podcast out every two weeks now instead of every one week because it just involves so much work. But this interview is going to be with Simon and Carla of the sailing yacht Ocean Fox. It's going to be an interesting interview. But before we get to that, I wanted to share some ranch stories with you and some other information that I think you will find interesting. So I told you in the last episode that I was preparing a, uh, I prepared a tool pouch for suspension in the back of my Kubota tractor, my, for, which I use for blowing snow. And I'm always having to replace shear pins in the tractor, in the snowblower, when I hit a stick or the hit snow is too heavy or whatever. I'm usually having to, sh- to replace at least one or two shear pins almost every time I start the snowblower. Got the learning curve down fast, but I just it was it was time consuming to find the parts and the tools to change it. So I solved that problem by creating a uh, pouch out of vinyl sewn together with my <laughs> Sailrite sewing machine. Anyway, as this process was going on, I took the doors off and set them down, and one of the doors fell over and landed on a stump that was poking up out of the snow and broke the glass. And what I mean by the glass is the plastic vinyl glass that you see through in all your biminis. So that is what I call glass. It's actually plastic, but I call it the glass because that's what you're looking through. Anyway, it punctured and just destroyed the uh, the glass on the door. And I thought, oh man, I just created a, a headache for myself, which I did. <laughs> it's typical. So I took the door off, and I brought it down to the city, and I took it to an awning company. I was hoping they'd just be able to replace the glass in the frame. That was what I was hoping for. They said, oh, no, we can't even touch that until you take all the material off the frame. So this is sort of a, uh, you know, it's like any bimini. You've got your bimini suspended around a frame, but I had to, what it was, it was held on the the actual cover of the, for the, for the frame was held on by wrapping it around this metal frame and the material, wrapping it around this metal frame, and it was held on by Velcro and then riveted to reinforce the Velcro. A really secure way of doing this, and the rivets were aluminum. Of course, the frame was just regular iron or steel. So I had to take it back to my city workshop and grind off and drill out every one of the rivets and there were probably about 25 rivets that I had to drill out and then I took it out of the frame took this cover off the frame I had to take off the handle as well uh, the door handle and and then rolled it up and took it back down to the awning company and they said okay so they measured it out and they said okay it's 
for labor and material, it's going to be about $170, $175. They gave me an actual bid, but it was in the $170 range. And I said, okay, okay. I kept thinking about it, and I said, okay, that's a lot more than I really wanted to spend to fix this. But I thought that's going to be the fastest way to get this fixed, and okay, I let him take it, and then as I was driving away, I thought, you know what? Oh, no, no the, the killer was, I said, all right, how long is this going to take to get fixed? And they said three weeks. And I thought, what, three weeks? I was expecting to get it back later that day. I was expect, <laughs> expecting a fast turnaround because uh, it's winter. Well, what are awning companies doing in winter? And they said they're really busy for some reason. I don't understand why, but they were really busy. And I thought about that, and I turned around, went back to the yawning company. I said, give that back to me and and just sell me the material for the glass. Just sell me the glass material. And the glass material was $21. So my project this weekend is to basically get my Sailrite machine out again and and sew in the new glass. I I like Sailrite. They have lots of videos showing you how to do this, and I've watched a couple of their videos already. So that's going to be my ranch project this weekend. I'll be heading up. Later today, after I conduct another interview for this podcast, which will be released in the future. Hey, I <laughs> I found a very interesting article. By the way, like I told you before, I'm no longer on Twitter. I am now a member of Parler. And I found a link to an article in Parler that you will never see in Twitter or Facebook or anywhere else because it does not fit the narrative of what we are being told about the COVID virus. This is an article that was actually published by John Hopkins, and it was on their website, and after it was published, they took it down. Well, fortunately, once it goes up on the website, it doesn't disappear, and people caught this article and archived this article, and I have a link to this article in the show notes for this this episode if you want to go actually read the article. But the premise of this article is, okay, we're talking about how the elderly are being devastated by the COVID virus. Well, okay, if that is the case, it's not just the elderly, but the death rates are going up as a result of COVID virus, but primarily the elderly. If that is the case, then we should be able to you know, see an increase, a spike in deaths among, among the elderly. And what this report showed is that there is no spike in deaths among among the elderly, that the death rate among the elderly is about the same as it has been in the past. And also, in all age categories, it's about the same as it has been in the past. What appears to be happening is the reclassification of deaths. And they gave some really interesting statistics in this article. Now, you can believe in the COVID hype all you want. That doesn't matter to me, but numbers speak to me. So they went back, this researcher went back, and this is all from publicly available information, and his name is Briand, or Genevieve, Genevieve Briand, Assistant Program Director of the Applied Economic Master's Degree Program at Hopkins it says she critically analyzed the effects of COVID-19 on U.S. deaths using data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in her webinar titled COVID-19 Deaths, a look at U.S. data. The data shows no increase in deaths among the elderly. Further, she goes back and she picks a week, she picks April for this study. So in the week ending... April 11, 2020, it shows us causes of deaths on the left-hand side of this, this uh, not graph, but this chart. Then uh, we have heart disease at the top, then cancers, then chronic respiratory disease, then cardiocerebrovascular, Alzheimer's, diabetes, flu, pneumonia, nephritis, other respiratory disease, septicema, and not classifieds. And then you have a total decrease, and then underneath that, you have the number of deaths related to COVID. Well, all right, on this, this, we start out on April 11, 2020. In this week, we had an increase in heart diseases of 824, decreased by 
52 in cancers, and a decrease of 96 in chronic respiratory diseases. And we go all the way down the list to the total decrease in deaths from all those causes listed before, heart disease, cancer, chronic respiratory disease, and so forth, a total decrease in death for the week of April 11, 2020, of 530. And an increase in deaths from COVID by 486. Okay, that's just one week. Let's go to the next week, April 18th. A decrease of all the other above, all heart disease, cancer, and so forth. The total decrease in deaths for that week of 2,540 deaths. Hmm, guess how much COVID deaths increased by 2,561 deaths. All right, let's go to the next week. The week ending April 25th, 2020. Total decrease in the normal cause of deaths of 1,605. Hmm, COVID increased deaths by 1,651. I smell a rat. I think there's been a total reclassification of deaths normally occurring to all deaths due to COVID. But the actual death rate for people in that category have not increased from one year to the next. But suddenly we are deathly afraid of the COVID virus because it's going to kill us. It does not fit the mainstream narrative, does it? And you won't see this article in Twitter or Facebook. I put a link to the article. Draw your own conclusions. (laughs) All right. Let's get on to my interview. Today I'm talking to Simon and Carla. They are on board, living full-time on board, a catamaran named Ocean Fox. I guess right now you're in Portugal, is that right? Yeah, that's right. We're on the south coast of Portugal in a place called uh, Portomaya, which is uh, one of the major towns actually on the south coast, the Algarve coast. Okay. Well, you. Uh, it's interesting because... For the first time in my entire uh, podcasting career, which goes back to 1913, I was a I was approached by your publicist. I guess you have your own publicist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we do have somebody actually who uh, uh, who works um, for us to uh, kind of promote our uh, YouTube channel. Uh, yeah, that's correct. So obviously you were approached. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, tell us about your YouTube channel, what it covers, and uh, what what videos you've had you have up there. I think I've watched one or two, but I haven't had a chance to really go through it much yet. Yeah, so we have um, a YouTube channel called Sailing Ocean Fox. Uh, we have around two and a half, twelve and a half thousand subscribers. Uh, we uploaded about 200 videos so far. Yeah, yes. we make uh, three programs uh, a week. We do a main program that comes out on a Monday, uh, which is basically all about what's happened, maintenance on the boat, where we are, where we're going, uh, pilotage and things like that. And uh, on a Friday, we, uh, launch, uh, we do another video called uh, how to so we do a whole series of programs called how to so how to anchor how to clean the uh, boat how to maintain the boat that sort of thing and we also have uh, a subscriber base through our patreon platform and uh, they get an extra program on a wednesday yeah where we tell them uh, uh we we record the video in real time so they know exactly what you we are doing on that week yeah yeah, because our main videos are about uh, three weeks behind, four weeks behind. Yeah. Just depends where we are. And, uh, yeah, we're in Portugal at the moment. Um, we originally left uh, Croatia, uh, which is in the uh, – it's kind of opposite Venice in Italy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, in 2000 and 2018. 18. And we headed out uh, towards Greece, went all the way over to the uh, Greek-Turkish border – uh, to an island called Rhodes, and uh, then back through Greece, through Crete, through the Mediterranean, uh, Balearic Islands, Spain, down to Gibraltar. And uh, from there, we went across to the Canary Islands, which is a group of islands off the Moroccan coast belonging to Spain. 
And from there, we went down to the Cape Verde Islands, which is uh, an independent set of islands that used to be Portuguese, um, down in the tropics um, off the coast of Africa. And from there, we crossed the Atlantic to the Caribbean. And that all took place at the beginning of 2019. And uh, having been in the Caribbean, we uh, actually got back to um, Portugal um, about two months ago. So how was your crossing back? That's always the tough one. Was, Getting over is the cakewalk. Getting coming back is always the tough one. Yeah, it, it was a tough one, really. It yeah. was. It was. Uh, it, it, I can't. I can't say it was much pleasure actually. Um, we were actually in the Bahamas uh, when we were about to leave, and we got in the uh, Bahamas lockdown, and uh, so we were on the boat for about three weeks before we departed and we weren't allowed off, but we were waiting for a weather window. We were also waiting for Bermuda to open, or at least to accept boats, even if you couldn't go ashore. And uh, so we took uh, five days, six days to get to Bermuda. Uh, then we were in quarantine there for 19 days. Uh, then we were on the island for about a month. And, and if you have ever haven't been there, Bermuda is absolutely stunning. Mm -hmm. um, and then we did, uh, it was supposedly going to be about a 10 to 12 day crossing to the Azores, but in the end it took us 18 days. And uh, I would say at least 10 of those were pretty tough going, to be honest. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't uh, that pleasant, if you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, and there we cruised the Azores for about uh, six weeks, which are an absolutely stunning set of islands. And uh, in the end, we had to say goodbye, didn't we, and go yeah, back to yeah, sea. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we did six days to Vienna de Castella, which is in the northern part of Portugal. Okay, well, let's back up and, and dissect a little bit of what you just told me about, yep. because we've got, we got hours to talk about what you just, just said in a few minutes here. <laughs> uh, okay. All right, so... So let's go back to the beginning of you guys getting together and going sailing. So uh, I've, I've looked at your website, beautiful website, by the way. And, uh, Thank you. And it talks about uh, living in Portugal and healthy lifestyles and, and, uh, and your, your... Well, we were, both, we were both in the UK when we met. Um, mm -hmm. We met uh, about five years ago, no? yeah. five mm -hmm. and a half years ago. Um, and, uh, we, I, people say, how did you meet? And I always say we met at High Wycombe railway station. Uh, <laughs> but the reality of it is we did meet there, but we met online and, uh, a year and a half, two and a half years, a year and a half later, we got married, we got in, married in Barbados, in Barbados yeah. uh, with our four children. And two days after we got married, we're lying on the send bed, you know, with a, um, whatever it is, drink, you just happen to be drinking a rum punch or something. And Carla came out with, oh, do you fancy sailing around the world? And uh, I had to think about it uh, for all of about two seconds and then said, yep, okay, we'll do it. And uh, a year later or just over a year later, 15 months later, uh, we stepped on the boat. We had an awful lot to sort out in between. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we, uh, we, we bought the boat in Croatia. Uh, we sold our house in the UK. That's how we managed to uh, fund the project. And um, from Croatia, we went down to North Greece and then um, through the uh, Bay of uh, Corinth, which is an enormous sort of inland waterway in, uh, in Greece, and then through the Corinth Canal, which is uh, really quite ancient and absolutely fantastic. I don't know whether any of your listeners know of that. Oh, yeah, I've sailed in and out of there many times myself. And a lot of our sailors, uh, the, a lot of the listeners of the podcast have, have gone in and out of Corinth. Did you get, visit City while you were there? No, doesn't ring a bell. But there they... was an awful lot of places we went to in Greece. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm just, this, is in the, this is in the Bay of Corinth. This would be on your way to the Corinth Canal. Okay. Well, yeah. when we were coming through there, we were in a bit of a uh, time. We had a bit of a time thing going on yeah. because Carla's youngest daughter was coming out to see us in Mykonos, ah. and uh, so we kind of had to sort of uh, keep moving every day. We we never sailed overnight or anything, but um, um, we did about three stops there uh, on our way to uh, the Corinth Canal. Yeah, yeah. But the Corinth Canal, absolutely mind blowing. I thought it was absolutely incredible. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so you probably stopped at the island of Trabzon one night and uh, probably another one somewhere else along the way. Uh, yeah, we did three stops. Um, um, uh, the place where Byron died. Oh, okay. So that's Mesa, um, oh, it's this Mesa, uh, Megalanisi. That's it. Megalanisi. That's where Byron yeah, that was died. On, uh-huh. Yeah, that was on the north coast. And then mm-hmm. uh, we stopped uh, quite a long way further down on the south coast oh, okay. uh, before we went out to one of the islands, I remember. And then we went um, down to the Corinth Canal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I have to say, Greece is absolutely uh, beautiful. Um, the sailing uh, can be quite tough down there, actually. Uh, well, we were there. We had uh, we were, it was in uh, mainly in sort of June, July time, and the Mountimi was blowing um, like bullets down through the uh, Cyclases Islands. So yeah. it was really quite uh, quite a, quite a blow, you know, especially off the back of the islands. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's. Yeah. That's why I tell people if you want to go sail Greece, go to the Ionian side and don't go to the Aegean side because yeah, I I would agree with that, um, uh, and it's also it's much lusher up there, much greener up there, a lot more attractive in, in, in a lot of ways. But the Cyclades are fantastic. We got stuck in a a Mogos twelve days because yeah. it was uh, screaming outside the harbour. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like Hotel California. You know, you're allowed to check out, but you could never leave. Um, we, we, every day we kind of thought, right, we'll go tomorrow. Then the next day we'll go tomorrow. And the harbour just got fuller and fuller and fuller. But Greece is so cheap. I mean, our boat's a catamaran, a 40-foot catamaran, and I think we were being charged uh, six euros or something like that a night on the quay there with electricity and water. So it was a real, yeah, quite a bargain, really. Cheap. Yeah, yeah. It was very cheap. yeah. And you also, we discovered you found quite, find quite a lot of abandoned um, marinas yeah, yes. um, in Greece, which have been built by the government, but nobody's actually ever run them, and uh, they're completely free. Yeah, yeah, and also a lot of uh, small islands yes. uh, have harbors, and uh, free harbors, free yeah. harbors, mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah, Greece is definitely uh, one of the cheaper places uh, to cruise. So, out of everywhere you've sailed, let, let's um, which would you put as your favorite? Just uh, before we delve into much more detail. Uh, uh, do you mean in the Mediterranean or, or throughout our journey? Throughout your journeys, yeah. Uh, okay, well, we always land up going to the same place, uh, and that is a place called Los Roques, uh, which is an archipelago of about 300 islands, 100 nautical miles north of Venezuela, um, off oh. uh, Caracas. And they are uh, Venezuelan. Um, they're a three-day sail from uh, Grenada, heading practically uh, due west. And it's another uh, good uh, 24-hour sail from there to um, Bonaire. But uh, they, it's like a sort of uh, volcano that's had the, blow, blow, the top blown off it. Yeah, it's like a, a blue lagoon inside. It's yeah. so, so blue that... Uh, the birds are green underneath because yeah. of, the, of the reflections Touching. of the colors. Yeah. And uh, the, the clouds are green and blue too. So it's just in the wildlife. It's completely amazing there. So it's just absolutely stunning. You can't stop just looking around and see how beautiful that place is. Yeah, you have whole islands to yourself because yeah. uh, Venezuela is basically out of bounds. And um, we we weren't allowed to go there. The insurance company wouldn't insure us. About a week before we departed for Bonaire, I said to Carla, I'm just going to send them another email and see what they say. And they came back and said, yeah, you can go for two weeks. So 14 days they gave us. And uh, we were there for about a week and a half. And then we had to leave because it was a bit of a bit of a bit of weather coming in, really. But um, the main island of Grand Roques is inhabited. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop uh, you there. My alarm clock is uh, going off, and i got to go turn it off. That was my alarm clock okay. to make sure it got on for you guys. Hold on just a second.
Det er da det, jeg tænker. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Sorry about that. It was driving me insane. You probably couldn't hear it, but it was, okay. it was driving me crazy. That's okay. Yeah. So let me ask you a little bit more about Los Roques. I've got it up here on Google Earth. And you said you did your insurance company cover you? You said your insurance company would not cover you going in there. Is that right? Yeah. Basically, but basically we were banned from going to Venezuela. And uh, it was only a week before that I contacted the insurance company again and said, hey, could we just stay, stop at this one island called Los Roques uh, on our way? and forget all the others, because there's quite a lot of islands off that coast, and they are supposed to be quite stunning. And they came back to me and said, yes, fine, you can have two weeks. We'll insure you for two weeks to go to Love Walk S. So we did the uh, three-day three sail down there, which was a fantastic sail. And then the, the first thing we uh, noticed as we approached the island uh, was the wind directly behind us. And uh, we were we were screaming along, really, you know, for for our big uh, cruising cap, we were doing like seven, eight, nine knots. And uh, all we saw was boats moored in the middle of nowhere. You couldn't see anything apart from about half a dozen yachts just moored the other side of some uh, white water. It was absolutely incredible sight. And uh, we tried to go through into this area where these uh, yachts were, but the charts were so far out, we decided we were going to have to do a detour of about 10 miles round uh, the back of the main island. Uh, so we went all the way around the back of the main island, and then we came up um, uh, on the inside of it, and uh, we had to go ashore and check in, uh, which was uh, quite incredible, because the main island has got a population, I think, of a couple of thousand but uh, they only have electricity in the afternoon. They don't turn the generators on until 2 o'clock in the afternoon because they don't have enough oil to uh, run the generators, the power station, uh, for 24 hours a day. And just things like the roads aren't paved in any way. They're just sand. And uh, everybody just sits out and watches. Uh, people, people are so by. nice, ever yeah. so nice. They're yeah. really, really friendly, and they yeah. keep telling you it's uh, it's not dangerous here. You no. can come here. It's yeah. uh, it's safe. You can yeah. stay here. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we did feel very safe there. Yeah, um, I think we spent one night there, and then we went out to the started going out to the islands, and it was just absolutely staggering. I mean, these places, these smaller islands, they're just totally untouched. And you'll get an island uh, like one called Krensky, which is three miles long. And it was one beach the whole length. And it's completely white sand, beautiful blue waters. And there's not a soul there, you know, and you have the whole beach to yourself. It's absolutely uh, amazing. And we would um, go into a little uh, an island, uh, put a line ashore, drop the anchor at the front, put a line ashore. And you could just walk off the back of the boat. Uh, through the beautiful waters and then have a beach barbecue and watch the sun go down. It was um, an amazing week or so we spent there. And uh, it's the one place we would both like to go, to go back, back to. One day. Yeah, yes. yeah. Our favorite place ever, I'd say. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Yeah, I guess the main island is Gran Roque. Is that right? And, uh, that's correct. Because that's where there, there looks like there's an airport there. And uh, There is a yeah. small airport. Yeah. Um, with... with coming in from um, Caracas. They they used to fly in from Bonaire, actually, uh, and a lot of uh, kitesurfing people used to go there, but um, the borders closed. And in fact, when we went, we left there and went to Bonaire, um, we showed them our um, uh, passports. passports, and uh, the guy was flicking through the pages in the passport, and he said, you've been to Venezuela? Um, we said, yeah, we just came from Venezuela. We stopped at Los Roques, really. I said, it wasn't Venezuela. Anyway, uh, he said, well, you can't stay here then because the border's closed, so you'll have to leave, uh, which is all a bit of a shock because uh, we hadn't even really considered that it would affect us being on our sailboat. So and that meant we couldn't go to Bonne, Curaçao, and Aruba. So yeah. the next stop would be Colombia, which was yeah. 
how many miles away was well, it? Well, that was about another uh, five or six days, I suppose. Yeah. And uh, we didn't have any food for our cat, Dobby. And yeah. We were running out of provisions because we'd been two weeks since we left uh, Grenada. Mm. And uh, I have to say, though, over the two-hour period of us sitting there, the guy made loads and loads of phone calls. And eventually they uh, said, OK, yeah, we, we, we get it, you We'll, we'll let you in. And so he stamped our passports and uh, led us into um, Bonaire, which I actually have to say, Bonaire is another yeah. beautiful island. Mm-hmm. It's very dusty. Um, they're very environmentally aware there, aren't yes, they? Yes, they are. Yes. Uh, you can't uh, anchor on Bonaire. You can only use mooring boys or go in a very small marina. And uh, I think there's only about 36 mooring boys. Um, and once they're full, and if the marina's full, then they tell you you have to go, and the next stop is uh, 24 hours away to... Because they Christmas. don't allow you to anchor because of the corals. They yeah. are very protective about yeah. their corals. But beautiful clear waters, mm-hmm. beautifully warm, and in fact, we loved it so much, uh, we stayed an extra week in here and then learned to dive, yeah. which was absolutely fantastic because you couldn't get a better place uh, to learn to dive no. than Bonaire. Yeah, yeah. Okay, just a second. Yep. <laughs> my, my, my wife just my my wife just walked in and was yelling at me and she didn't know I was on a podcast. So okay, all right. Um, so you've you've probably spent as much time sailing in the Caribbean as the Mediterranean, then. More, more actually. Uh, it was an interesting uh, thing, really, because when we got the boat, we had this aim to go across the uh, Atlantic. To the Caribbean, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah, And we got the boat at the end of March, and so really the opportunity to go was uh, November, November, December, December, January, February. Um, So we decided we would go right at the beginning of January. Uh, So we actually went quite quickly through the Mediterranean, Uh, even though we did uh, a big circle going all the way out east to just about Turkey, although we didn't actually go to Turkey. And then we came all the way through the Messina Straits between Italy and uh, Sicily, and then up to Sardinia and across to the Balearic Islands, down the coast of uh, Spain uh, to Gibraltar. But we didn't really uh, spend long enough. No, we didn't. And we, we really wanted to go to across to the Caribbean that year. Yeah. Yeah, so but, so but having having got to the Caribbean, yeah, now we regret it. <laughs> and then we regretted it. Uh, we were going to go further. We were going to go through the canal and out into the Pacific, but um, we both got uh, young adult children and uh, two each. Carla's got two girls. I've got a son and a daughter, and um, the time zones were getting quite um, difficult, really, and also. For them to come and see us. So, yeah, yeah. It would be more expensive for yeah, them and yeah. a longer journey. So we decided not to go through the canal no. and just make our way back to the Mediterranean and yeah. stay here. And yeah. so go explore the Med again. So basically our plan is uh, for, for 2021, if we're allowed to, uh, because of obviously the restrictions, but we want to go back through the Med. And we would particularly like to go up to the Black Sea through um, uh, Istanbul and up into the Black Sea for kind of in August time, and uh, go down through the Suez Canal in the autumn to go to um, the Red Sea. That's kind of our plan looking out over the next sort of 24, uh, 12, 14 months. Okay. So you'd winter down somewhere down south then, Tunisia or somewhere down there or south of the Suez Canal? uh, Well, this this year we're going to spend the first half of the winter here in Portugal, mm-hmm. and then we're going to decide what we're doing from there. But next winter, we would actually be down in uh, Egypt. Okay, okay. Now, let's talk about your boat and the purchasing of your boat. So it's a Lagoon 400, <laughs> right? And uh, Yeah, it's a Lagoon, Lagoon 400, uh, which is a 40-foot catamaran, and it's what they call an owner's version. So uh, in the starboard hull, it's uh, a main uh, en-suite so the whole hull is our hull, if you know what I mean. You've got the bedroom area, you've got the dressing area, then you've got the uh, the heads and then the shower. And on the other side, we've got two double cabins and uh, one large heads. Um, we found buying about that. This is my fourth, fifth boat, actually. I've had four monohulls, although I haven't had a boat for uh, 15 years when we bought this. And Carla had... I had motorboats, but I never I never no. sailed before. That was yeah. the first time I I, I sailed was it this boat. Yeah. So 
we had uh, we were going to buy a monohull to do this job. Um, and if anybody knows it, we were going to buy a deck saloon called a Dela 41 deck saloon. And uh, we somebody suggested to us that we look at uh, buying a catamaran because they said it's the perfect boat for what you want to do. And we went, well, I did anyway, went on not having a catamaran. I'm not going over to the dark side, you know. <laughs> but uh, Carla uh, convinced me to go and have a look at one on the south coast of England. And uh, so we went down there one uh, cold and wet, windy day and had a look at this uh, catamaran. And we were both just completely sold. Um, I mean, it really is the ideal boat to do the job. Uh, it's a lot more stable. Uh, it's great downwind. And on the, on the, on the biggest uh, part of our venture, we try to pick downwind routes wherever possible. Uh, but it's the accommodation it gives you as well. And even though we've done 23,000 miles in the last um, two and a half years, um, you still spend an awful lot of time at anchor and uh, or, or, or in, you know, in harbours or wherever. So a catamaran really does give you that stable platform. It's much better for cooking on yeah. and uh, eating it's on and cover, living on. The space, and like everything that. is yeah. much more, uh, yeah. Originally, we were buying a, a Lagoon 440 uh, from a guy in Italy, and we'd actually paid the deposit on the boat. And then uh, about a week later, he decided he wasn't going to sell it to us. So uh, that purchase fell through. And then um, by the uh, middle of March, um, we found out we had 10 days to move out of our house because it was sold. And uh, we didn't have a boat. So we... Uh, I was scanning all the websites, and then I found this one in Croatia. And so Carla was still working, so she said, you go on your own. If you like it, don't come home without it. So uh, that's what I did. Yeah, I went down there, and I said to the bloke, well, we're going to take it. So let's just get it all organized. And we had a very short window, really. So we didn't really have a lot of time to go, uh, you know, for a great, great deal of shopping. Having said that, it's been a fantastic boat. I'd really recommend it. Um, we we got a particularly good one. It was quite well uh, kitted out, and, uh, it's and all the, the all the bad weather we had in the boat handled yeah. very well. So yeah. we are very pleased with. Yeah, that. I mean we had a few blows in the Mediterranean. Our worst blow was uh, going from Portugal down to um, Lanzarote. Lanzarote, and uh, we had a uh, a low go through, and it was uh, sixty three knots and uh, waves the size of a skyscraper and that really did catch us out because that was our first um uh big uh crossing you know in 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 the atlantic ocean and we really weren't expecting that there was nothing on the predictions and even friends of ours when we were going through it we were on the sat phone saying can you see anything you know can you tell us which way to go which would be would reduce the weather and they said well there's nothing there absolutely nothing there so uh we've had a few more blows since then but um that was the worst one and the boat did very well, very well yeah. yeah yeah it really did do very well it was more rust than the boat yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well let's talk about because you you we um when your publicist wrote me, he said, you know, we can talk about how COVID is affecting you this year. So let's go into detail. This is an unusual year. I wasn't even able to go out and go sailing this year because I could not get into Italy to get on my boat. Uh, so let's talk about how it's affected you this year uh, in your sailing. Well, when, uh, when it caught us, we, we were in the Bahamas. Uh, we were just in Nassau. Um, my daughter came with a friend just for a week holidays and it was just about when they left that we realized that we couldn't to, uh, go on with our plans. Because, yeah, because we were going to Florida. Yeah, we were going to Florida to, be, to, yeah, to start with. And then um, we, I couldn't get my visa. Simon got his visa. I couldn't get my visa because they didn't... Um, on the interview, they didn't ask me for my birth certificate to prove my name. And so I would have to go back to the embassy to give that to them. But when we got there, so they didn't let us to go in because everything was just starting to close. Yeah, they greeted us with 
guns and said, stay back, you're not allowed yeah. in here and all that sort of thing. And that's when it really did dawn on us yeah. that this COVID thing, which we had heard about, was uh, becoming really quite a big reality. Yeah. So, um, so, so shortly after on. that, so about a week after so, that. So, so, so let me get this straight. You had actually sailed towards America and you had to turn around? No, we were in Nassau because okay. uh, we needed to apply for B1, B2 visas, you see. Okay, okay. And uh, I got the visa, even though we went for the same interview and everything else, but the guy behind the desk didn't ask for all the paperwork for Carla's because he's changed her name. And uh, so uh, Carla's uh, visa didn't come through. But by the time the following day we got back to the embassy, uh, the embassy was closed. Oh. And that's really when we realized that okay. this, this wasn't going to happen. You know, we weren't going to get to Florida. So you're stuck uh, in the we Bahamas Florida, then? We could have Florida, but we would have got fined for entering. Okay, yeah. so you're sort of stuck in the Bahamas then is what, what it amounted to. We were stuck in the Bahamas. So we decided to go uh, kind of north uh, east out to the Berry Islands. That was March, mid-March, and uh, we couldn't start our crossing until end of April, yeah. beginning of May. Yeah, uh, because was, of the weather window, you know. Because of the weather right. window. So, yeah, so then we started to um, listen to the government in the Bahamas saying all the boats, they have to leave uh, the Bahamas. Uh, we don't want the cruises here anymore. No. Uh, so for Americans, I mean, they just have to cross the, the channel, which was from Bimini to Florida, 60 miles. But for us, it was just meaning across the Atlantic. So we had to wait uh, for a weather window to, to leave. Yeah, and the the lockdown there was quite severe. I mean, you weren't allowed on the beach or anything. You weren't allowed to go ashore. You weren't allowed to go to shops. In fact, you couldn't do anything as a boater. You just had to stay on your boat. And uh, obviously, we were going to run out of things. So we ran out of gas. Um, we ran out of... Uh, we are starting to run out of food and things. So we kind of had to take the dinghy uh, around the back of the islands and uh, find a beach and uh, drag it up the beach, tie it off, and then try and walk to the supermarket without anybody really noticing noticing that we were foreigners um we did get stopped once but the guy said okay i'll let you go but uh yeah it all got quite difficult really and there was quite a few vigilantes there watching you spying on you making sure that you didn't get off your boat and things like that so um we were in the bahamas for about two and a half months we had come from cuba having done the whole of the south coast of cuba um and uh, by the time we got round to leaving, um, the next stop was Bermuda. And Bermuda had just started to open to accept yachts, but you had to go into quarantine at anchor for two weeks. Uh, so we set off for Bermuda. It took us five days. And uh, as soon as we got there, we were told, uh, that's your spot. Uh, drop your hook and stay there. And don't get off the boat for two weeks. So when did when did you um, when did you make the passage from the Bahamas to Bermuda then? From uh, Abaco. From, from Abacus Islands. Abacus. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you say when or where? Yeah, when? What what time was this, was this yeah. in April then? Yeah, end of April. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the first couple of days out, we actually got a weather router to help us. Um, because this, this this journey from west to east is a bit trickier than the trade wind route. So we got a, a weather router to help us. But the first day out, um, the winds were up in the 50s, and uh, it was really quite uncomfortable. Um, and we had to do a couple of, a bit of a zigzaggy course, really, uh, around some lows uh, to get us to Bermuda. But the guy did a very good job. Um, we actually used him for the whole journey across the Atlantic. Um, but having arrived in Bermuda, we were put into quarantine for 14 days. And then on the 14th day, we went ashore and said, hi, we've done our quarantine. Um, we, we want our you know, passport stamped and be free to go. And they told us to go back to the boat. And uh, obviously, the Bermudan government hadn't thought anybody would stay longer than 14 days because they hadn't put any plans in. So uh, it took us until the 19th day. Uh, when we phoned the British Embassy in Bermuda and said, look, we're basically in house arrest here uh, because, you know, they won't accept us. And yet uh, they told us it was going to be 14 days. And um, I think the embassy kicked, uh, you know, a few backsides. And uh, later that day, we were allowed on the island, which was a bit of a relief, really, because we basically been stuck on the boat for about 33 days at this stage, having 
been stuck on the boat in the Bahamas. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, when I sailed across the Atlantic, I went directly across on the 40th, which was a big mistake. I should have gone down to Bermuda. So I've never been to Bermuda. It's not a, not a, but I hear it's a delightful island, but it's expensive. <laughs> it's expensive. It's too expensive, to be fair. Yeah. Um, but um, it, it is uh, stunningly beautiful. Um, all the roofs of all the houses are painted white because they collect their uh, fresh drinking water there. And um, it's just a very, very pretty island. And uh, it's a shame that it's so expensive. Fortunately for us, we had a friend who lives there. And uh, he had a dock on the side of his house. So um, we were tucked up on his dock for four weeks. Oh, that's nice. Weeks. That's um, nice. Step on, step electric. off then, huh? <laughs> Yeah. Electricity, water, and Wi-Fi, which, <laughs> which helped a lot. It did help a lot, actually. Yeah, but um, uh, yeah, we. I, I mean, I, I think Bermuda's beautiful. Um, everybody is delightful, and uh, yeah, yeah. So from there, we had to do the crossing to uh, the Azores, and this summer, um, the Atlantic lows were really quite hefty, and uh, so for the first um, two and a half days, we had to head. Uh, southeast towards Cape Verde, which was like kind of really depressing, really heading towards Cape Verde. But it was the only way we could get out of Bermuda uh, because we were uh, we, we were sandwiched down from a, a big low pressure system, uh, which was um, above us, the north of us, we couldn't go through. So we had to go down south. And this uh, uh, low pressure system was rubbing up against the Azores High, um, to the east of it and uh, causing quite a lot of bad weather. So uh, Charlie, our weather router, he uh, took us down southeast. And then when we got to the end of the low, he, he brought us up right into the center of the low um, for about 150 uh, to 200 nautical miles. We went due north right into the center of this low. And then uh, we spat out through the, uh, the cold front uh, right in the center and managed to get into the Azores High. And from there, we had five or six days absolutely stunning sailing. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely unbelievable. The winds were around about um, 13 to 18 knots. Uh, we had the code zero out all day long, uh, mainsail up um, and the code zero. Um, we were sailing along at six, seven knots. And the water was so blue and the sky was so beautiful. We even left the code zero up at night. Um, which we don't normally do, but we felt so confident with the uh, weather pattern there. Um, and it really was one of the best sales that we've had. It just went on. The fishing was terrible. Yeah. Um, the fishing was absolutely rubbish. Uh, we caught one little uh, tuna all the way across yeah. the Atlantic. Yeah. Um, when we went uh, from uh, Europe to the Caribbean, uh, we pulled out um, 11, 12, 30. It was basically a, quite a big tuna or a big mahi, mahi, mahi every day, okay. um, and uh, we stopped the freezer up. Yeah, but coming back, it was the fishing was terrible. Mm. I can't recommend. So, <laughs> so where did you clear into? Did you clear into Horta then? Yeah, we had to clear into Horta. We wanted to go to Flo Flo Flores, Flores, but uh, COVID uh, wouldn't really allow it, so we had to bypass that island. Um, and then it was another twenty-four run down to Horta. Uh, we actually arrived in Horta on a Sunday. A Saturday, Saturday night. and uh, we had to have a COVID-19 test, but the first test we could have was on a Monday. So we were put back in quarantine on the hook in the harbour there. And uh, I, could, I couldn't tell you, I could have almost cried because uh, the guys from Peter's Cafe came out no sooner had we anchored. And they said, hi, guys, welcome. Do you want anything? Um, you know, they gave us food. food. They gave us. They, they brought us dinner. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was Absolutely all the support. Wonderful. Yeah, they gave yeah. us a lot of support. Yeah. anything you want, just let us know, and we'll bring it out. They brought, you know, they brought us a a cooked meal, a takeaway, uh, and they brought us bread, wine, and uh, uh, beer, and cheese, and all sorts of things that we needed. Which we were running a bit low by then. And uh, then on the Monday, we uh, went out the COVID test. We got cleared in on the Monday afternoon. And uh, I have to say, Hort is absolutely beautiful. But um, we actually then decided we were going to spend a month in uh, the Azores. I don't know. Did you spend any time there or just Horta? No, I spent probably about a week is all. So I'm, it's one of those places that I wish I'd spent more time at. So yeah. Yeah. It, is, it is absolutely beautiful. We went over to Pico. It was our next stop. 
uh, which is, uh, I think the volcano is about uh, 9,000 feet there. Uh, huge, huge cone. It's just the most classic shape of volcano, right, uh, coming out of the sea. Uh, we stayed there for a couple of nights uh, in the fishing harbour. Nobody came over and said anything. Nobody bothered us. Yeah. Uh, didn't pay anything. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, from there, we went to uh, St. George. Yeah, St. George. George, and yeah. stayed in the most beautiful little marina yeah. in uh, Velos. Velos. Yeah. Um, it's a very small marina tucked away behind a breakwater, which is then tucked away behind the... Uh, the, the container mold mold um it it's uh it it only really takes monohulls there's only one place for a catamaran and that's uh, on the reception pontoon um and uh, the harbour master there was uh he was just yeah. delightful wasn't yeah. he yeah. Yeah. yeah and the marinas are so cheap i mean we're yeah. talking about 10 or 12 euros a night including water and electricity yeah. which is something that you would never have got in the caribbean um, I mean, water would cost you that just to fill the tanks. Yeah, yeah. not for a catamaran. And not for a catamaran, no. Um, for them, from there, we went over to Tassira. Uh, we spent at least a week there, didn't yeah, we, yeah. in the marina. Beautiful island. Uh, the all the islands were beautiful. Yeah, they, they, they're all absolutely stunning, well worth a visit. And so lush and green. Yeah. And then we went uh, the 90-mile uh, trek um, across to uh don't remember the name of the last one Ponte del Garda um which is San Michel San Miguel San Miguel sorry yeah uh, which is the uh capital of um of the Azores and we spent about um uh two weeks there which was absolutely lovely absolutely lovely yeah yeah I spent uh, some time in Horta and then to uh, to Sarah and that that was it so yeah, twenty twenty hindsight, mm-hmm. yeah. But I was uh, and yeah, a, I we was, couldn't get enough of it to be honest. We were loving it. Yeah, yeah absolutely loving it. Now, now, yeah. Carly, you speak Portuguese, correct? Yes, I speak Portuguese. <laughs> okay, so for you, uh, of course, most of them speak English when I was over there. Anyway, the, the language did not seem to be a barrier when I was there. Was it? Uh, I'm sure it made it easier yeah, though to, for you. To say most. The people here in Portugal, they uh, I even speak in English with them because it's easier for Simon because he doesn't speak uh, Portuguese. But uh, yeah, we don't, we never had a problem with the language. Uh, no, yeah, it's very good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Carlo also speaks Spanish and Italian, so it, it all helps. <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. Yeah, I speak English, and that's about it. I wish I spoke multiple languages, but uh, Americans don't tend to learn the languages like uh, Europeans do. And and, and us us Brits are the same, to be honest. Um, A a lot of us don't bother to learn another language because we can just seem to get away with it everywhere we go. um, When I sailed, my my sail, when I crossed the Atlantic, and this was a long time ago, it was uh, 18 uh, 18 of 22 days from Hampton, Virginia, to the Azores was stormy weather, just stormy, miserable weather. And then I got to the Azores, and then the uh, sail from Azores to um, uh, Lagos, Portugal, was the most delightful, yeah. perfect sail I've ever had. I mean, it was just <laughs> oh, wonderful. Lucky you, lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> um, that North Atlantic is very, very tricky because you've, uh, you, you can't really leave like uh, the Bahamas or somewhere like that until around about the end of April because you want the best weather you can get in the North Atlantic, because it is quite far far north. Um, And then, of course, you've got the hurricane season coming in uh, June, and and some of them do go out there. I mean, a year before, in 2019, there was a hurricane in the Azores that uh, ripped some of the uh, breakwaters and harbours up. So uh, it is a bit of a tricky one, to be honest, yeah. Mm. And um, those big Atlantic lows are pretty scary. Yeah, Mm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about Portugal, some of your favorite places to sail in Portugal and, and anchor and visit in Portugal. Well, it has been the Algarve, really, the favorite yeah. place to, to sail here yeah. because it's uh, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Every place we go here is just amazing. We, yeah. we, we weren't expecting this. I mean, yeah. we have been this here before, 
but uh, not not by boats. No, uh, I mean uh, the Algarve coastline is absolutely stunning. You mentioned Lagos, Lagos, but uh, just right next door to it, only two miles along the coast, there is a place called uh, Al Alvor. Alvor, yes. which is uh, you go in through a sort of breakwater. And then this bay opens up this huge estuary, and it has uh, the most beautiful sandbanks at low tide. Yeah. Uh, you can get in there at any state of the water. It's about a mile or so uh, up through the estuary to the village, and even the monoholes go all the way up there with two and two and a half meter worth of draft. So that's around about um, eight foot in your uh, language. Um, and at spring tides, they may—they're uh, nearly on the bottom, but not quite. But um, the whole area is just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and then a few miles uh, after that, we have the Benadryl Caves, which are the most amazing caves we have ever seen anywhere. Yeah, we have yeah. because this Portuguese coast has got uh, a lot of limestone cliffs, uh, and you have huge sandy beaches, uh, which in some cases are miles and miles long, uh, all backed by these cliffs. And on top of the cliffs, typically there's pine uh, trees, aren't they? Yes. All the way along. Yeah. Uh, but some of these cliffs have been eroded away, and uh, inside them, um, I mean, these uh, caves are absolutely enormous. They're like going into a cathedral, mm. and some of them have like a big skylight, which has been uh, carved away inside as well, and the light pours in through the ceiling. It really is absolutely stunning. I mean, I I've been to Portugal quite a few times. I'd uh, been and holidayed on the Algarve coast, but I just never experienced the experience you get from uh, sailing along this yeah, coast. Yeah. It's uh, truly amazing. There's another area uh, a little further west from here. In Faro. In Faro. Um, it's called uh, Culatra Island. Yeah. It's just beautiful. It's... Here again, you've got a little entrance going in, and then it opens up into this big estuary where a lot of it dries, but uh, there's always enough water there for you to get around. But the, uh, the island that separates this estuary is called Calatra. It's six miles long. The one beach on it on the uh, outside of the island is six it's, miles. Yeah, it's Absolutely a, beautiful. No cars on the island. No, There's no roads. No, it's a fisherman's island. Yeah. So it's not, yeah. the only way to get there is by boat, Yeah. Uh, ferry or taxi boat. Yeah, or take your rib, obviously. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this coast is probably one of the most beautiful coasts we've been to. We've actually really fallen in love with it, um, even having been to the Caribbean and around there and uh, having come um, and going all the way around to Greece. Um, Just the water is a bit too cold. Yeah, water's <laughs> cold. Yeah, that's the thing. That is the thing. Well, it's interesting. You're, you're in Puerto Mayo, and when I uh, sailed into Lagos, uh, this is 1997. Um, I sailed from my crew left me in Lagos and I had to sail to Sevilla to pick up my family that were going to join me there. And so I left uh, Lagos and uh, I had an auto helm and it gave out between just after I left uh, uh, Lagos. And I thought, oh no, yeah. oh no. So I sailed into Puerto Mayo and yeah. took the dinghy ashore. And when I was there, there was no marina. That marina is a brand new marina since I was there. I just went and tied up, dropped my anchor next to the city and rode ashore and got to a phone booth and called up my wife and said, bring over a new spare uh, auto helm with her when she came. And uh, so it's, it's totally it's changed developed. since then. I think it's developed quite a lot because uh, yeah. Carla was saying uh, to me the other week that the, the main breakwater wasn't there it probably wasn't there, yes, uh, no. 30 years ago. Yeah. And uh, now the main anchorage, which is... Uh, just inside the breakwater is very, very calm, very well protected. And uh, it's got beautiful beaches alongside it, which mm -hmm. are, uh, are absolutely glorious. Um, uh, I'm actually quite blown away by the Algarve. And, you know, we're talking about beginning of November here. And uh, uh, only yesterday we were on the beach, it was 75 degrees. So um, for Northern Europe, it's uh, pretty good weather. Yeah. 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 But you wouldn't want to go in the sea. No. <laughs> <laughs> a little cool, huh? Yeah, it looks like a gorgeous yeah. coast to sail on. Lots, lots of little spots to uh, to uh, anchor in and visit. And yeah. um, yes, you know, and you don't hear yeah. you, you just don't hear about people doing that very often. At least no, it is tidal, um, so you have to take that into calculation when you're anchoring, etc. And you do have to take it into calculation of where you can get into. Um, uh, especially if you've got a deep fin 
Um, but uh, really, it isn't a problem at all. There's a very good community of boaters here, yeah, isn't there? It is, yeah. Um, it, People that just starting from the UK came down here, yeah. so there's a lot of uh, British here. A lot of British, a lot yeah. of Dutch, yeah. uh, quite a lot of German mm -hmm. uh, who've all come down, Scandinavians have all come down uh, across the Bay of Biscay, uh, down the Portuguese coast, and uh, they've managed to get this far and they've gone, hell, that's it, I'm staying here. And so many of them have said, no, I'm just stopping. Yeah. It's absolutely it's beautiful. It's so beautiful, I wasn't expecting yeah. this, so I'm yeah. going to stop and stay yeah. here for a few months. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, it's slightly undervalued, I think, as a cruising area. Yeah. yeah. We, we thought we we're going to get bored being here for yeah. so long because we first said we're going to be here until Christmas. Yeah. But no, we are fine. I mean, we're doing well. And it's damn cheap as well, isn't it? It is very cheap. I mean, very, we're, very we're only talking to a couple today and they say, well, you can go out for a meal. Uh, and that includes a glass of wine, a dessert, coffee for seven euros. Seven euros, yeah. Um, and uh, it is. It's uh, yeah. incredibly cheap. Yeah. Yeah. What are the marina fees like where you're at? Uh, the marina is not very expensive. For now, for, uh, this time of the year, uh, we are paying 145 euros for a week. So it's not too bad for a catamaran. No, that's 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 a bargain for a catamaran, your size. Yes, water and electricity. Yeah. If we went down the road, which we will do in a couple of weeks' time, to it's, Villa Mora. It's, it's cheaper. It's cheaper there. It's 120 there. Yeah. 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 And it's very well protected. We'll go down there for a week. Yeah. and uh, sit there for a week, I expect, in a, in a week or so. We'll have another week out on the hook, and then we'll go down there. Well, you, you've got a great internet connection. I mean, you've got your video on, and usually I tell people to turn off their video because it, it uses up the bandwidth, but uh, your, yeah. your quality of internet is great. Tell me, tell me yeah. how you're doing it. Um, we're doing it just on the uh, 4G mobile phone system, and uh, what we do is we buy a SIM card, put it in a, in a phone, and then we hotspot off it. But um, we've got unlimited Wi-Fi, uh, unlimited uh, uh, gigas or whatever, um, for a month for... 30 euros. 30 euros. It's very cheap. Yeah. What, yeah. what company is that? Well. I mean, yeah, it we works can, very well. We stream videos every night. We watch Netflix yeah. and everything. Yeah. And it doesn't, you don't have to be like, we're here in a main city, but even when we go out to the anchorages, it's just as good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very good. Excellent. What what company is providing that? What uh, what's this service then that, that you're using? It's uh, NOS. NOS. It's called NOS. NOS. Okay. Okay. All right. Good. So the winter. So you, are you gonna are you gonna be moving around much during the winter? Or are you gonna sort of stay hunkered down? No, we're gonna. Uh, our plan is. Uh, we just came back in the marina today. We've been in Alville for a week, uh, sitting there, uh, meeting some friends, and going to the beach and. Uh, various things like that, going shell fishing. So we've been there for a week. Uh, we've just come back here. We're going to sit here for a week because there's a bit of a, a blow coming in on uh, possibly Tuesday, definitely one for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, and quite a bit of rain. So uh, we've got a bit of a duff week coming up. So we're going to sit here, and then we're going to just go back out on the anchor again yeah. and uh, wait for the next bit of uh, bad weather to come along and then nip back in the marina. That's that's our plan, basically, until... Yeah. Uh, until we decide what we're going to do because yeah. of the restrictions of uh, COVID. We don't yeah. really know how to do a plan, how to have a plan. No. Uh, for now, it has to be like this until things start Yeah, happening. I mean, Spain is in lockdown yeah. and uh, the northern part of Portugal is uh, quite well locked down. Not all of it, but most of it. But down here in the south, there's very little uh, COVID. COVID, around. yeah. So, so we um, are in a good spot. Yeah. So we're gonna stay yeah. here until things clear up. And our only restriction is that uh, you have to wear a mask when you go into shops or public spaces, and they've asked you to wear a mask when you're in the street when there's other people around. So you don't have to wear one if you're um, just walking down the road, for example. And you're only supposed to meet in a group of five. Aren't yeah. You? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it sounds like it's fairly lax there. That's great. Yeah. Well, I've enjoyed. I mean, all the shops and restaurants are open. Yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah, you go out to eat. You can do whatever you want. So it's not that much different right now for you then. Not at all. No. No. We just hope it stays this way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope it uh, it ends. I'm tired of this nonsense. I'm fed up with it. I think most people are saying, yeah. I'll take the risk myself. So, but anyway, 
hey, it's been a great time talking to you. Let's keep in touch. Let's do another podcast toward the time you get ready to go sailing for this year, and we'll catch up and do another one, okay? Yeah, okay. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Simon and Carla. I really enjoyed it. Okay. You take care. Okay. Okay, Bye-bye. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f***. What the f*** gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it.